I'm Brett Farrell, and in this series I've been talking with fathers to see how they navigate this thing called fatherhood. In this episode, I meet John Musa, who talks openly and honestly about disabilities, differences, and devotion. I think children that have outward disabilities are normal. They're just normal. They're, they're normal. We're, we're the ones that are disabled. John is married to Chrissy, a talented singer and mother of his two girls. Together, they parent Jemiah and Jacinta. John's eldest daughter, Jemiah, was born with Down syndrome, which was totally unexpected. I took to the Word of God straight away. I mean, my faith just took another level. John is just like you and me. He's a father trying to do his best and live well through the teenage years, with two daughters with very different needs. Do they think the way that you treat them is fair? No, because Jacinta says the same thing. She says, Dad, is that if I do the same thing, you do this to me. Why don't you do the same thing to Jemiah? John's strength as a father is his gentleness. Through his life's backstory and upbringing, John shaped intentionally what type of dad he'd be. You, you want your children to have the best life ever, but you want to constantly acknowledge them. You don't want to not acknowledge them. Like, I grew up with a father that never acknowledged me, never said anything good about me. Mum was amazing. My mother, yes, my mother's words echo, but not my father's. I'm Brett Farrell, and this is Fatherhood. John, thanks for having us into your home today, which is just beautiful sitting up here in the leafy northern suburbs of Sydney. Thanks, mate. That's great. Now, John, someone told me, uh, someone who's pretty close to you told me that you have the patience of a saint. Sound like you? Yeah, I do. I do. Have you always had that? Yes, I have. Tell me about when you first found out you were going to be a father. It was magic. It was really, like, it was, it's, almost, it's almost like someone giving you a gift and you can't unwrap the gift, but you've got to wait nine months to actually see what's inside. You wait the nine months. What's it like on the day your firstborn arrives? Well, I remember that day. There's no words can explain how excited, how overwhelmed you were. I was in tears when she was born. And, um, and I, I remember grabbing her and, and just showing her off. I mean, the nurses gave it to me and... Oh, I was wrapped. I'm still wrapped. Tell me a little about your oldest. It was a healthy birth. The nurses and the paediatrician were around the bed and they called, called me in. And, um, and I thought, oh, what's going on here? Then I said, is John Moose, is this your baby? Yes, it's our baby. We'd like to let you know that your child might have um, a disability, which is Down syndrome. And uh, again, we didn't know what that was. We just thought because when I mean, you're delirious at the time so yeah it, it just it doesn't fit in your head what's what goes on so we um stood there Chris is overdosed on drugs and and um and, and I'm just trying to trying to think what what's going on here I'm just it just wasn't computing in my head because I don't quite understand she had a health she was healthy through a whole birth I mean I'm healthy because I was a fitness fanatic and um and when you get told your child might have Down syndrome, it was like, well, that doesn't make sense. We were still excited. We were still happy she was ours. Uh, for us, it wasn't a challenge. For us, it was like a, a massive gift God gave us. And um, not knowing um, what the journey was going to be like, uh, we were just excited that she was born. Your daughter is first born that moment, the magic moment you were talking about. 
and then the doctor's gathering around. Is there a conflict of emotions going on? Do you feel like the excitement, the magic, under pressure from other emotions that we're trying to... Um, no, I didn't. I, I Look, it didn't worry me what the doctor said. Because, I mean, look, not being spiritual, but for me, God was in everything. And I know that God can do great things. And for us, or for me, it was like, don't care. Um, if this is it, God will heal her. And um, therefore, I was excited she was born. I mean, I, there was no conflict there. There was, It was almost like... I, didn't understand what the doctor was saying, but my emotions of her being born was like, who cares? She's my princess and I love her and she's all mine. And that's how I felt and I still feel the same way. It's helpful to know some more about John's background before we move on. John's wife, Chrissy, was a worship leader at a large church in Sydney in the mid-1990s when a movement called the Toronto Blessing was impacting the global church. This blessing wasn't unique in Christian history, and people were experiencing a tangible presence of God during this time, and many expecting miracles. Is there some element of your faith around the time she was born in those few days when you're waiting for the doctors to tell you one way or the other? Did your faith come into it? Absolutely. What did you do? Absolutely. I mean, I, um, I took to the Word of God straight away. I mean, my faith just took another level. Um, I was challenged through what the doctors said, but logically speaking, it was like, well, I don't understand, but I do understand God is powerful. I do understand that God is with me. And, and I was, in fact, I remember reading Psalm 91 and I'd walk around her crib where she was, she was lying. She had all of these hooked up with all these tubes and whatever. And I remember the nurses over the other side were just watching me. But I'd walk around the crib just reading Psalm 91. And because I really believe that, um, it's emotional. Whew. Um, I really believe God is God and, and he can do anything he wants. What did the doctors tell you at the time that you found challenging or even, to the, even you wanted to pray against with your faith? Oh, that she would not walk. Um, she would not probably walk properly. She'd probably sit in a corner. She won't read. There, there are, there's stuff out there that can help her. Um, she probably won't hear much. And um, so it's all negative. I guess it's a doctor saying, giving us the worst. So if something little happens, it's like, wow, it's exciting. But my prayer was that she would hear and that she would read. And by the time she was three years old, she was reading a whole book. And for me, that was a great miracle. But what the doctors said she wouldn't do, she was doing at three years old. Well, they, they said wouldn't walk, wouldn't hear, probably wouldn't communicate, would sit in a corner, wouldn't read. How's she doing? She's doing all those. She's not, she's doing the opposite of what the doctors have said. She's, she's walking, she's talking, she's communicating, um, she's reading, she's writing. Um, she sets up her own YouTube channels. She's great on the computer. Like, she's better than me. Why? Why Why does all that happen? I just think because, number one, it's the mother's love and the father's love and the acceptance of who she is. We never pushed her aside. We got her involved in everything, whether it was ballet or whatever. And we were never shy or embarrassed. Like, you know, oh, you know, she's going to embarrass us. And we were never that way. It was like, she'll do her best out there. 
and she does her best. And I remember I took her to ballet, and she, I think she was six at the time. The teacher said, now to the students, it's all split up and pair up. And Jemiah was just left there in the centre on her own. And I'm the father watching. And, and I was sad for her because no one paired up with her because she had Down syndrome. But she stood there and smiled, looked at the teacher and said, the teacher said, let's, let's pair up together. And she paired up with the teacher, but she's just so courageous. You know, she never takes a backward step. Any father's heart would skip a beat at seeing their child left alone, so young, innocent, and so alienated. Children don't need to be different for them to experience exclusion, and John's not one to say what's a disability or what's normal. How do you teach your kids that different is okay? So how long was it after Jemai was born that you decided to have another baby? I think it was um, six years. And had this beautiful girl called Jacinta. I think when she was born, I remember holding her, she was pink as, and I cried. I cried because I felt this should have been Jemiah. This should have been Jemiah as well. And without the challenges she's faced and really come through with flying colours. Was it a scary time oh, absolutely again? your heart was beating your heart was racing why uh, because you didn't want that to happen again you know what you've just been through yeah. you don't want it to happen again so your heart's racing but you accept whatever comes so i was i accepted whatever came um but at the same time um you know you're, you're not sure you're just not sure uh, but it turned out a beautiful child like Jemiah, a beautiful child. And the challenges are different. Two sets of challenges. I know you don't like to use labels, but just to help contextualise. Sure, yeah, yeah. Jemiah might have had a disability, whereas Jacinta was normal, whatever normal whatever it is, means, whatever, whatever that, means, that is, yeah, but yeah. perhaps not disabled. But they're two different challenges. So yes. a lot of parents, I reckon, actually, I reckon there's a lot of dads who have got more than one child, and in some respects treat them all the same. Right, you're all getting this, or you'll all be parented the same, you'll all be disciplined the same, you'll all be loved the same. That's right. Can you do that? No. Why? No, because with Jemiah, kids with disabilities are in touch with their emotions. They're in touch. People don't understand that if, if you push a child with disability away, they have the same emotions as you do. They'll feel rejected. Yet their rejection is magnified because they already know they're different. So let's get to a little specific here, because you, you, both your daughters have gone through the teen years, or at least coming out of them. Pick a teen example for each. What have they done that's maybe it's been the same teenage thing, but you've had to handle it differently? Cleaning the rooms. I'd say to Jemiah, uh, you clean your room, Jemiah. It needs to clean. And I'll say, if you don't, there'll be consequences. And, and I'll say the same thing to Jacinta. If you don't, there'll be consequences. But the consequences will be different. With Jacinta, I'll take her iPhone from her, her computer from her, and, and say, if it's not clean, you're going to lose these for a day or for an hour or whatever. And she'll get really upset. With Jemai, won't do that because that's her source of communication. You know, I, with Jemai, just say to her, Jemai, if you don't clean your room, you need to go downstairs and talk to your mum because... Mummy will sort this out. 
because Chris is really good in that area, whereas I'm not so good. I'm not so good. <laughs> Chris would say to me, John, you're the father. I said, but honey, it's different. You can communicate your mind differently than me. You know, you're pretty good at it, you know. So um, then Chris would sort it out. Whereas, whereas Jacinta, I can handle Jacinta because uh, Jemiah is, is different. I just, I love Jemiah. I don't want to hurt her. Do they think the way that you treat them is fair? No, because Jacinta says the same thing. She says, Dad, is that if I do the same thing, you do this to me. Why don't you do the same thing to Jemiah? I said, because Jemiah is more sensitive than you, Jacinta. You've got to understand that Jemiah didn't put her hands up to be born this way. You know, it's like we've got to treat her differently. John knows that he has two very different daughters and each have come with their own rules in how to guide, shape and discipline them. And while outwardly my two children don't have visual disabilities or seemingly many differences, the more I talk with other fathers, it's clear that no two children are the same. Each child needs a different approach. You were told Jemai would never read. That's right. Never hear. That's right. Would live a sedentary life. That's right. She doesn't. D- does the exact opposite Absolutely. of all those things. So I guess in one sense you could say healed, 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 healed and healed. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's outstanding then? Is there anything outstanding? Or, or as a parent, as a dad, are you just over the moon? Oh, I'm over the moon because she, she functions well, you know. I mean, there are certain things that we have to do and that's fine. I think the challenges of her birth to where she is today, uh, the journey has been amazing. What God can do if you believe. Yeah, you've got to work with it. You just can't believe God and not do the work. You've got to believe God and do the work. You've got to, you know, um, teach her, help her, get her understand and pray that the Holy Spirit empowers her and moves through her cells and her body and heals her and so forth. And like, it's amazing. I go upstairs, she's in bed reading a, reading a book. Like she reads a book. The book's that I don't understand. Yeah. But she's amazing. During their growth, their development through, you know, babies, through to young girls, to, you know, womanhood, what things have, as a dad, I guess, I won't say worried you, you shouldn't have worries, but what's concerned you as a dad along the way? Oh, well, with Jamar, it's, it's relationships. I guess in both of them is relationships, because you want them to have good friends. You want them to grow up with, with solid friendships, and hopefully those friendships go into their future. You don't want them to be alone. And I guess that's, that, that's, if there's a, well, I wouldn't say it's a fear, but if there's a concern, it's you want your children to have long-lasting, good, solid friendships that hang around all their life. That's what, what I would love for my children. Is that something you've had to help shape for along sure. the way? For sure, absolutely. I mean, yeah, with Jemiah, it's like it's, um, like Jemiah mixes well with, kids with like disabilities with her and with others as well with Jemiah it's like we want her to have to develop friendships on both sides and also have an ability to communicate with I can't think of another word but uh, adults that are just adults you know and Jacinta's we're always constantly um, watching Jacinta's friends uh, making sure she mixes with the right people um, we always say to her, who you're hanging out with, um, what she like. She was a friend yesterday. What she like, what are her parents like, you know. So, 
because kids can be so easy influenced and you don't want to be influenced the wrong way. So, yeah, you just hope for good friendships. You're a patient guy. I am. I reckon for dads, that's probably a rare quality rather than the normal. So for dads who are the opposite to you, they're not gifted and naturally patient, how would you help them? Easy. I'd say to them, just listen. Because some kids can't communicate in words, I think in terms of being a good listener and just listen to them and spend time with them. You know, it, it will help. It'll help you. It help me, that's for sure. So having two different daughters and two different parenting styles, what have you learned that can help us understand perhaps the rest of us who've got normal, whatever that means, children? There are two keys. That is spending time with them and listening. Just listen to them. Because they're, they're, they're trying to verbalise something that you may not understand. I think talking to them doesn't do much, but listening does a lot. Because they're able to communicate how they feel on the inside. But if, I mean, I thought talking was the key, but it's not the key. It's listening is the key. So it's just spending time with them and listening. Because they're both different, you know. And so what you say to one may mean nothing to the other one. So, but once you listen to them and get it out, they get what they want out, then your communication to that one's going to be different, but you're going to have a solid relationship there. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's time and listening. Time and listening. Listening and time. It seems so simple, but yet it's not something that comes naturally to me. Even with all the challenges and frustrations of fatherhood, why would I want to miss a word they speak? What's the best joy you've got as of being a father? I think watching children grow and do things that you think, wow, heck, you know, like Jacinta, she's a, she's a young lady now. Like, I know she's only 15, but she's going on her own somewhere or, um, you know, she's seeing her do stuff. It's like, wow, watching her play football, you know, or touch football, or watching her do ice hockey. It's like, wow. It's amazing. To me, that's like, I, th- I, think, I think that's how God sees us as we do stuff. He goes, wow, you know, my, he knows what we're going to do. But as a, as a father, it's like, wow, they're doing that. Like Jemiah would send me a text and it just blows me away what she's written. In terms of, I remember one text, um, she texted uh, my sister about getting a phone number to wish happy birthday for one of her um, her daughter-in-laws. And so she did. Then she texted, Jemai texted my sister saying, will you get my name right, please? You know, and these, these uh, what do they call those things that convert the words over the phone? You know, when you write and they convert. Auto text. Yeah, these auto texts never work, she says. <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> that was great. That was amazing. Jacinta plays ice hockey. Yeah. Did she get into any scraps on the ice? Oh, that when she used to play, she doesn't right now, but, oh, yeah, she's into it. <laughs> she's into it. And be honest, are you, are you on the sidelines cheering that on? Yes. It's a good, well done, Jacinta. <laughs> That's great. But, look, you know, you want, you want your child to, you want to, um, you know, you want to stand with them. 
If they do something well, well done. If they do something bad, you can do better, you know. And um, but well done anyway. So um, yeah, you, you cheer them along. It certainly you, you want your children to have the best life ever, but you want to constantly acknowledge them. You don't want to not acknowledge them. Like I grew up with a father that never acknowledged me, never said anything good about me, and I decided not to be like that. When did you decide that? Because I would never have guessed that would be your upbringing. Yeah, it was my upbringing. What changed? Um, Why did you change? Um, I think I was um, 17 at the time, and and I was playing first grade league, and uh, I thought to myself, life is better than this. This is like not the pinnacle of all life. And uh, then I discovered Jesus, and that moment on, I was changed forever. When he said... When he says that that uh, you're the apple of his eye and you believe, it's like, wow, you start to feel loved. And as you progress in your Christian faith and what Jesus says about you, it's like it's all truth. And that changed my whole thinking. And, and that enabled me then to lift other people up. And that's what I do. John acknowledges that when he met Jesus, his life changed. I can't help but wonder whether or not He'd been prepared for this in some way his whole life. I remember um, when I was six years old and, and I went to visit a friend. Her name is Mrs. K. And Mrs. K looks at me out the back door and her daughter walks up to the back door, chewing her tongue, just looking at me. And I looked at her and I didn't know what a disability meant. I didn't understand it. I wasn't like scared of her or didn't laugh at her in any way. I just fell in love with her. I really fell in love with her daughter. I was only six and I cried and I cried and I cried because I felt her pain. I felt that she needed a friend. Now I wanted to be a friend. That was my first encounter with a disabled child. Do you ever look back on that now or around the time Jemiah was born? And did you ever think that was maybe God preparing you? Or I don't know, maybe. I mean, I worked at Sunnyfields and that had a... Sunnyfields was a place with kids with Down syndrome. I worked there. Maybe. Maybe he was. I don't know. I think there's not just thing as a disability. I think outwardly everyone is the same. They just look different. Some people you see outwardly and others are internal. Others have emotional disability. They're crippled on the inside and they're disabled, but you can't see it. With Jemiah and other children that we're disabled, you can actually see it. But you know what? They don't have a disability inside. They are just like, they're black and white. They're not grey. Whereas adults children have disabilities inside are grey they, they just don't know who they are and they're crippled emotionally and um, I think children that have outward disabilities are normal they're just normal they're, they're normal we're, we're the ones that are disabled I think that every parent wants greater things for their own children than they had themselves but it's our history our background the things that we rub up against that shape us Throughout your parenting, your whole fatherhood journey, has there been any echoes 
of your father's voice in your head at times? No, absolutely not. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, because I was raised in a, a father that was emotionless and, and never picked us up or hugged us or told us how good we were. It was our upbringing, you know, and um, so there were seven of us uh, children and um, we all got the same. Mum was amazing. My mother, yes, my mother's words echo, but not my father's. Would you say you have a good relationship with him? No, because I wish he was still alive. The one thing I, I would have done was I would have gone to the races with him. I would have gone places with him where my Christian face says, don't go. I just would have done it because I wanted to be with him. Instead of saying, no, Dad, it's wrong. I'm not going there. And then sort of pushing him away. And that was wrong. Because fathers, like fathers are the most critical, uh, I guess they're critical in any child's life. Uh, mothers are important, don't get me wrong, but fathers play a big role in children's lives. And, and dad took me a while to get over what dad did to me in terms of the abuse and the stuff I copped. And some of it I deserved anyway. But, you know, it took me a while to get over that. And, you know, I still think of it, and he's been dead now for a long time. But I wish he was still here, because I would do things differently. And I've decided not to be like that to my children. I won't be like that. We may not have a choice in the hand that life deals us, but we can choose how we shape life, and what we'll carry forward, and what we'll leave behind. No matter what stage we are in our fatherhood, we can all talk less and listen more. I would love you to stick with me on this journey as I continue to chat to fathers, expanding my dad's skills and navigating my way through fatherhood. Well, for all our failings as fathers, isn't it amazing to see that your daughters will never know that? No, never. They'll know a father who loves them, supports them and will always be there for them. Always. And that's what I want to do. Because I want them to look back and say, Dad, you're the best. And I will be the best because I'm their father. And I want any man in their life to be the best but me. You know? <laughs> well, I'll get married one day, mate. <laughs> see, see how you I'll still be the best. I'll still be the best. <laughs> On that joyous note, John, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to the show's producer and editor, Loretta Farrell. And to John, the most patient man I have ever met. I'm Brett Farrell, and this is Fatherhood. <laughs>